Hey, fellow community, welcome to the Follow Podcast. I hope you're enjoying your post-Christmas, pre-Easter lull. But you know what? Not too much lulling because Easter's early this year. It's gonna sneak up on you. If you're new to our podcast, our goal is to help you become more effective so that your church can become more effective. And as we start this new year, for me personally, I've been taking some steps to rethink what's important to me and what gets my best attention. And as a tech person, I've spent so many years just being along for the ride. You know, whatever the ideas are, kind of adjust my life to get them done. And it took me a while to realize that my time is a resource and it needs to be managed just like the budget or the equipment we use. I say it took me a while, but it's still something I'm learning how to execute. And I took some time over the break to work through my calendar to make sure I'm creating time to recover and to refresh along the way. So 2023 was a difficult year for me and I'm not planning to repeat it again. And so I was just not strategic with my time off at the right moments or really at all. And I spent a lot of time just kind of reacting to how tired I was. And I know the year is still early days, but I'm entering into 2024 with a plan and I guarantee that I'm going to have to deviate from the plan, but at least I have a starting point. And I want to encourage anyone listening to take time to invest in yourself. And whether that's planning a vacation or taking a night class or starting a hobby, you've heard me talk about Philo cohorts before and how much they've impacted my own life personally. And we have another cohort that starts in two days and it's too late to sign up for that one. But you can go to our website. You can see all the times for all the Philo cohorts that will be available between now and the end of the year. And so I would just encourage you, pick one that works for your schedule and sign up, you know, get it on the schedule and then work everything else around those times. One thing I'm doing differently in 2024 is really making time to develop myself. And I would just encourage you to do the same. All right. Speaking of follow cohorts, my guest on the podcast today is one of the original cohort alumni. He was in the very first cohort. He's now a cohort leader, as well as a follow core team member, Alex Sawyer. His church they just started a renovation of their sanctuary and they had to move into an old mall space temporarily. And they even have escalators kind of right in the middle of their auditorium. Anyway, Alex and I talked, we talked about all kinds of things, but he has some great insights into working with his senior leaders and the congregation to kind of help get the production stuff done. So let's listen in. How are you doing, Alex? Doing well. How are you, Tom? Yeah, doing all right. Uh, we've known each other for a few years now. You were part of the very first Philo cohort round. Mm -hmm way back in 2020, which feels like a, oh, yeah. a different era for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of things have changed in the world and in our worlds individually and collectively. And yeah, but it's good to have you back on the podcast. Yeah. Happy to be here. Yeah. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what you do now and maybe your journey of how you ended up kind of in this place? Yeah. So I was on full-time tech director at a church for about eight years here in Richmond, Virginia, as of June, transitioned off of staff, and I'm now working, owning my own business as a producer and a production coach. So I still spend a ton of time leading Philo cohorts, and then also partnering with other churches here and across the country with some coaching and, and helping people continue to grow their production ministries in their local churches. So always happy to talk with the Philo community because that's still where my heart very much is. Yeah, nice. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And today we're talking about, from your experience on a local church, somebody from the Philo community wrote in a question they had, which would be the jumping off point for most of our conversation. And so I'm just going to read it and then we'll kind of go from there. So it was a financial related question. Uh, how do you cast vision for upgrades to both equipment and facility to the attendees of your church? We priced out a good integrator whose price was fair and we worked hard at need versus want and our people still freaked out at the cost. So the question is kind of how do you manage that? 
And I think in your particular case, your church had been going through like a big capital campaign to redo the sanctuary and move to a temporary location and all kinds of crazy stuff. So maybe let's start with that part of your story. So like what was going on there at your church? And then we'll jump off from there answering this question. Yeah, it actually goes a little bit farther back than that, even to mid-COVID. I still remember prepping for Easter of 2020. We had just moved to online only, and we were in kind of desperate need for a camera upgrade. And so that's what I had started renting and pushing for stuff. And there was a decently lengthy process we went through just to help understand and justify the cost of purchasing new cameras because we were going from something that was kind of like even lower quality than a PTZ all the way to like a manned in-room broadcast camera. Okay. And so the jump from a couple hundred dollars in our leadership's mind to a $14,000 camera body and lens package was just a big leap. And so there was a lot of work done there. And then fast forward after COVID ended, I guess we could call it ended. I think we're still kind of <laughs> post-COVID yeah, for okay. a while. We're still recovering. Okay, Alex, we'll, we'll pretend we, we we're through. We'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll pretend everything's fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, a lot of that then moved. We had a building campaign that happened during COVID, which went back and forth seemingly a million times during COVID, just with all the changes in supply issues. And then the decision was made to move outside of our building to a local mall in an old Forever 21, which has two floors. And I just always have to throw out, there's an escalator in the middle of where we have worship. Love just, it, yeah. <laughs> to set the context, you just have to know, like, you're EQing around an escalator in case that no one has ever done that before in their productions. <laughs> yeah. That's just, that's what we're doing. So there was a lot of process for how you manage even casting vision for the long term, casting vision for the short term and playing that game of here's what we can take, here's what we should take, what we shouldn't take, here's something that might not make the move. There's a lot of those factors that we went through and the process also because it was so back and forth over two or three years was just a little bit messy. Mm -hmm. So yeah, always happy to talk through finances because as anyone listening to this podcast episode knows, it's not actually about the finances. It's actually about emotions and interpersonal relationships and communication and understanding. Yeah, yeah. So I'm happy to talk about that as well. Sure. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because I would say most every episode of this podcast comes down to relationships and trust in those relationships. It doesn't matter what the topic is. The hardest parts, I think, of being a production person in the local church is the relational parts, and nobody really tells you that when you sign up. And I think, too, it works both ways. So from our perspective, a lot of us get into it for the gear, and then over time you realize, oh, this is ministry, so it's actually about people. Mm -hmm. I think it works the other way around, too. From your leadership's perspective, they see you as, hey, you're the girl or guy who's, like, into gear, and you're you're good at stuff, making stuff look good and sound good. Mm -hmm. But maybe it's not about people. And then you realize, like, if you look at any part of production— it's all about people. This is ministry. It's just a different kind of ministry is what I like to tell people. Sure. So it's probably helpful to think that even in some of these conversations, your leadership maybe isn't thinking about the people aspect of it. And part of that job is of ours is to kind of help cast vision for why certain gear is needed and why obviously there's things that take place that like you need a certain level of something to make sure that it hits your needs. Yeah. But there's this X factor that is, I think, unique to the church in how does that support volunteers to run things. Right. Because in a corporate world, they might ask for, we just need this console because it's the best and it sounds good. Yeah. Well, that console might be a terrible choice for your church because you're not getting a paid audio volunteer to use it every week. You need your full-time electrician friend who's volunteering every week. They need to be able to run it. Right, right. And so you get into this weird culture and X factor in church production where 
the way we make decisions around gear has to be different because it's not actually about just the quality. It's about the people. Right. You know, for those of us who are in the gear business, you know, we, we know the difference between an expensive console. You know, we know how much money we could be spending. And so even buying the thing that's maybe more volunteer friendly and not maybe the latest and greatest is still really expensive, especially from a, a pastor's yeah. perspective. And so part of it is, you know, the congregation freaking out of the price of how much this stuff costs. It's, that's a real thing. But mm -hmm. from my perspective, it was always, what are we trying to do as a church? And what's the right piece of gear for that? And then making a case for it to my leadership so that they're the ones that are trying to sell it to the congregation. And so that relationship yeah. and trust that exists between me and whoever the leader is, it comes down to that, in my opinion. Yeah. This actually reminds me of a conversation we got into in a recent cohort, actually. Someone had brought up a similar conversation. They were needing to take something to their leadership. And the conversation kind of steered around understanding who the people are that need to be involved in that process. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the stories that I shared was when we were making the jump to getting a dedicated broadcast audio console during covid we knew that we needed it, and our worship people really had a strong understanding of why we needed that because it, so, it dramatically impacted them. Obviously, your your worship leader is like, I don't want to sound like I'm yeah. in a tin can yeah. online. I want to sound as good as I can be because it's a it's a comfort thing. They want to feel confident in that. And so part of that conversation was just sitting down with our worship folks. Our worship director was not normally someone who would be involved in a big gear purchase. Uh -huh in this way. But this time, because it made so much sense, we sat down with, the, we have two worship directors. We, we got together and said, this is what we're thinking. Can you help us talk through it? And what we learned through that process was our worship director was really good at helping us translate the technical details into human-related things and why they matter. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of us production folks are pretty good at that, but sometimes we need to even dumb it down even further. Like we yeah. can talk to a middle schooler about it, but it's like, you need to be able to communicate it to a third grader. Right, and right. that's what we found our worship director was really good at. And so even though she wasn't the one who was making the final call and wasn't really part of the process, having her help us with buy-in and just have the conversation around it, I think put us on a different trajectory. And then that wound up happening very quickly, partially because it was COVID and everyone was paying attention. Sure, but yeah. <laughs> I think that was a new thing that we started just incorporating into our processes was let's just talk and make sure that someone else who's not techie can help us kind of translate what we need to say to higher leadership. And that was very valuable. I can remember back when I was first, maybe it was the first big purchase I was making after I was working at a church. I was recommending going from a 24-channel soundboard analog to a 32-channel analog soundboard. Mm -hmm. And it made total sense to me why we were doing it. And I was, you know, getting price comparisons and all this stuff. And then I went to go talk to the elders and maybe I had an elder that was assigned to the production area. And they were like, so will the congregation be able to hear a difference, you know, between this console and that console? And I had no answer. Like I wasn't prepared for how is this going to help advance our ministry? It was just more about this is going to make life easier, you know, for the volunteers and, you know, our setup process. And so my answer was, I don't know that anyone in the congregation is going to be able to know oh, wow, they just added eight more channels. Yeah. But it was a good lesson in learning how to communicate something in a way mm -hmm. that not only other people can understand, but is tied to the mission of the church. It's not just a yep. nice thing to have, but how is this going to impact what we're about as a church? Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's interesting just to hear even the two perspectives of that, knowing that your leadership was thinking about what can the congregation even 
experience and how would that change versus even the volunteers? Because there is kind of, we have almost two audiences that we're serving yeah. that way because we're support, maybe even three, we're supporting all the people who are leading in worship. We're also supporting the volunteers who are making that happen. And then we're also supporting the congregation. So mm-hmm. there's something to be said for understanding maybe the framework in which your leadership is thinking about those. Yeah. Because they might not have had any idea that there is value in increasing channel count just because it makes it easier for volunteers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. For us, too, it was a limiting factor for what we could do on stage. The reality was we were a portable church, and so it's like there's only so much time in the, you know, on a weekend to add more stuff anyway. But being able to not have just two mics on the drum kit, you know, ended up being helpful. So, Mm In your particular church situation, it was more of a traditional church where maybe were there more committees or uh, like people to convince. And you could tell me if that's not true or not in your answer, but how did you go about making a case for, you know, doing that jump from, you know, the hundreds of dollar camera to the $15,000 camera? Were you just like presenting one option? How did that process go? It's fun to rethink about that. <laughs> so for context, our church, Presbyterian church. So I grew up Baptist. So I'm used to both worlds. Okay. Baptist world is much more, you pitch an idea, then it has to be voted on by the entire congregation in a business meeting or town hall type thing. That's the way the Baptist church works. Presbyterian is, I don't want to say death by committee, but I'm going to say that <laughs> for now. Like uh, you have to go through many layers of different committees to do that. And so the way that it worked there is I kind of knew that system. Uh-huh. I was lucky enough that it was COVID and that people were paying more attention and realized there was a need. That was helpful, made it easier to justify. The process worked where I went through my supervisor who was, he's an IT, like military IT background, which is great. He understands technology, but he was actually over charge of our like financial administration. So he was on both the trustees and the budget and stewardship committees. Okay. And so between like those two or three groups and then like pastoral leadership, those are the key players. And so for me, I had to figure out How am I communicating that to them? What wound up happening was I made like a 40-page document. (laughs) Uh, That is not what's needed. And I will say a couple of those were stuff that I had grabbed from multiple integrators. So Uh what I actually wrote was maybe four or five pages with images. Yeah. And essentially what I did was I tried to illustrate what having a different camera would do for someone who's watching online. Uh Because the biggest thing was color representation and depth just because going from a PTZ to a broadcast camera big difference in quality just because of the glass on the front yeah and so I took a couple of screenshots because we had we were renting some of these cameras too so they actually were able to see the difference between those two yeah. but I pointed out to them specifically do you see how the light is hitting his face in this way this is how this camera sees it this is how the other camera sees uh-huh. it and we just as pointing out depth and things like that for us it was a big deal you could see other people on stage um, lots of choir and orchestral members kind of in the shot because it was smaller, the depth was a big deal for us. It isolates Mm -hmm. the pastor without us having to spend a ton of money on lighting to help us do that. And so I basically just went through that document, gave examples, and kind of just like I'd put a point on the depth of field and say, see how this part's blurry? It doesn't just look good. It's actually a helpful tool for someone to understand like what's going on. It draws their eye to it. The other part of that was just getting quotes from different people. Mm -hmm. I think any financial person whether or not the financial person wants it, I think people are used to having processes where they see multiple bids. Yeah. And so I went through two or three local integrators who I knew that I trusted and said, hey, can you give me a quote for what you'd recommend for a solid PTZ option and a budget PTZ option? And then like show me a really nice broadcast camera and then show me this broadcast camera. Um, and so what wound up happening is we 
basically had three integrators and we had three different levels. One was like a kind of nicer PTZ. I wanted to illustrate the point that you can get really nice and spend $10,000 on a PTZ camera and it still look not the same as the other camera. Mm -hmm. And so the middle option was the 14,000 Blackmagic Ursa broadcast. Mm -hmm. Worked fine, but it was $14,000 package. And then I had another company, and their go-to is like this larger Panasonic kit, which starts around forty grand with the lens combo and everything. Yeah. And so just illustrating to them, you can still spend a, mo- a lot of money in the lower level, and it look pretty different. Or you can immediately go to the high-end stuff, and that was lower high-end. Like $40,000 camera package right, is, yeah. not, is not high-end, actually. It's pretty budget in the right context. Yeah. And so them, I think, seeing that 14000 realizing like, oh, contextually – that's where we sit, and here's what you get from those different things. I tried to do my best to help convince that. I think I just had a lot of help from COVID and some friends who were a part of that process with me. Sure, yeah. One of the things I can remember learning the hard way was that when coming up with several different options for people to consider, that they should all be options that you're willing to do or that yeah. are good ideas. So like the yeah. the budget version shouldn't be, you know, if they say yeah. yes to it, okay, now I'm sort of, now I have to use it and this was yeah. not a good choice. Right. And so even going into it, realizing that, okay, I have to maybe not lower my standards so far, but realize that this still has to be workable, has to be a good picture, has to yeah. work for the volunteers. All those things still have to be true. Yep. Yeah, and I think too, the posture then of, I mean, you could definitely have your favorite of the three sure. options, but the posture of being willing to do whatever, you know, the decision of the, the committee or the, the the leadership team or whoever you're you're presenting it to. Because I think that when we're talking about relationship and trust, that can-do attitude regardless of which one we pick, or maybe they pick none of them. And then to yeah. still have the attitude of like, we're going to do our very best with what we have and we're going to keep doing our best speaks volumes in those situations. Yeah. You bring up a good point about what if they choose just not to do it. And I think this was not as much on the camera decision, but we did have that conversation when we moved over to the mall. Mm -hmm. We had a PA that we were trying to bring and we were like, what, what PA can we bring with us? And we realized that no matter what we took, they were both really old from either room. We were mm-hmm. like, they might not make the move. And so we we try to take the posture of we can make this work if we really, really have to make it work, mm-hmm. but please don't make us make it work. And so we <laughs> yeah. then said also we, we had pitched something that said, hey, here's something we could use in this mall, and we could actually take this back with us and use it either in the sanctuary or the fellowship hall. And that was valuable for us. But I think it's worth, yeah, even giving an option and explaining like if you don't do this, here's what might happen. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know the specific context of who was asking the question, but if someone's just not willing to do that, like they're just, they're not on board with it, they can't get on board with it. Mm-hmm. Even just being able to say, here's the risk of what happens if you don't do it. It might yeah. be that your PA doesn't cover the room properly. It could be that some people just won't be able to hear or see or engage as much as you want to. Or it may be that we don't have to do it now, but if, you know, six months from now, we might be at a really expensive in a rush before Easter thing. Yeah, I think just kind of spelling out the context of what's going on there and being able yeah. to give options for it. If we just don't do it, that's fine. Here's what might happen. I yeah. Think be useful. I think I was really bad at doing that early on. Like, this could happen. If we don't do this, this is what could happen. Yeah. And then, you know, being okay with everybody knows what could happen. Yeah. If it fails, it's not all on me. No one's going to turn around and look at me and be like, what are you doing back there? Like, we right. talked about this and, you know, the leadership decided we're going to take the risk and not do yeah. it, knowing that these right. this is what the consequences are. Whereas before, I think I would just 
hang on to that responsibility myself. And then when it would fail, everybody would blame me. You know, and why didn't you let us know yeah. that this could happen? Right. It was real easy for me to carry all the responsibility myself right. because I felt like nobody else really understood what was going on here. So, okay, yep. this is my, this is my job. This is my responsibility. Right. But the reality is that there are choices to be made and they're not always just mine to make. Yeah. I think there's something to be said for understanding even how people think about some of those larger financial tickets items. Mm-hmm. What I learned in the process of doing some of that at our church was it wasn't really, for me at least, wasn't really about the cost necessarily. It was a lot Mm -hmm. more about the timing. And so it was less about what and why. And sometimes it was more about how, even with the financial folks. What I learned was there are significantly more expensive things that take place at churches than production stuff ever will. Because even at the largest places, like building costs are always higher and HVAC costs and building maintenance type things, they're huge. And they're a necessity. You can't ignore them or you can and it's ter- it winds up being terrible. And what I learned was if you can start understanding how your leadership approaches managing and planning financially for those things mm-hmm. and try to treat production like that as well, I think is sometimes really helpful. And so we got to the point where we had learned that our financial team has a certain like end of life cycle document for all the HVAC stuff so that they, they can start planning so that they know five years from now, we need $200,000 to do that. And uh-huh. we started having conversations around what does it look like to do that for production? $10,000 audio console. How long is that roughly going to last so that they can start planning for it? And I think doing that the first time might be a shock because people just aren't used to the numbers. But getting yeah, yeah. that into a spot where it's like you don't actually have to spend bajillions all at once. There's ways to do it. But again, I think it goes back to figuring out how the people who are helping make those decisions, how they approach that conversation, how they see and understand planning for those kinds of upgrades. Yeah. That's part of it. And then I think, I mean, it sounds like based on the question that was asked, it sounds like that was just shock from the congregation. People didn't necessarily understand why it was needed or how, maybe just how expensive it was. I think people don't uh, fully understand that, unfortunately. And I think too, you know, there's a reality there that, I mean, I'm shocked at how expensive some of the stuff is and I'm in it every day, you know? So like I was looking at wireless intercom mm-hmm. and holy moly, the, I mean, they're so expensive. Yeah. Do they make doing a production a whole lot easier? Absolutely. But who's got that kind of money to just throw around the highest end intercom? Right. So if I'm shocked by it, I know that the congregation is always yeah. going to be shocked by it. And so part of it is it's important that the congregation knows we're not buying necessarily the Cadillac of, you know, version of this, but more of a Chevrolet version maybe, but that, Mm -hmm. you know, this is what for our church's ministry and mission to move forward, we need to do this. And that's really, Mm -hmm. you know, again, not the production person's responsibility to convince the congregation, but it is our responsibility to provide that information and plan to our leadership Mm -hmm. so that they can do it. Yeah. I love that you use the uh, car analogy. We used that a couple times. We so in, in COVID, we took over a like an old classroom to uh-huh. kind of build out our initial kind of online broadcast production space. And as people came back into the building, we didn't move in that room just because we weren't ready to. But people would stop their head in every now and then, and they would look and they would say stuff like, "Oh my gosh, this is this is like the kind of stuff they used to launch the space shuttle." Yeah, yeah. And it was just like, "What do you think's going on here?" It was an interesting <laughs> question, but I started trying to use the the car analogy because I think people understood, and they would look in the room and they'd be like, "We bought the Ferrari of production yeah. stuff." Yeah. And then you have a five minute conversation with someone, and it's actually like, actually, we have like a two year old used Toyota worth yeah. of production gear, and I think yeah, yeah. just 
people don't have a frame of reference for that. And so sometimes even just saying metaphors like the car analogy, I think it'd be really yeah. helpful because people think that you were just using the nicest thing you possibly could. And sometimes you realize like it may look like that and it might actually be junky. Like yeah. I'm not trying not to hate on black magic, but years back there was some stuff where it's like we didn't want to use this thing because it was not reliable. Yeah. And in production, you don't want stuff that's unreliable because it immediately distracts everything from worship. And so there's like an right. avenue of conversation from some of that just to say if it's confusing to use and a volunteer can't get to it and they can make a mistake really easily and accidentally turn off the pastor's mic, it's kind of an easy problem to fix. We should have a conversation around that. So again, yeah, yeah, it's tying right. back to people. It's tying back to values. It's a little bit of telling people what could go wrong, but being realistic about that because, again, it's volunteer run in most cases. Sure, yeah. You said your boss was, you know, responsible for IT and was in a lot of those meetings. Did you have any other people that you were kind of building relationship with to kind of educate them on what was going on in All your the world? Time. Yeah. Yeah, and then through time my my supervisor kind of relationship changed and I was under my worship director who was my supervisor, which was really great for a lot of reasons. I would say the other big person for us was the our executive pastor. Mm-hmm. Just because he was on most of the committees that were making these decisions, he was also a person who was regularly interfacing with our teams. So he'd be at worship. He knows how we plan worship. He knows how Sunday morning rehearsals roll, and he knows the team and knows the people. So I think that was one of the most important relationships. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, too, he was not necessarily what I would call a tech-savvy person. Okay. So it made for interesting challenges, but again, having conversation where it wasn't just me and him trying to talk through stuff, but us more as a worship team collectively was great because it's we were just able to talk about all the different values and how that's impacted because as you're discussing it, people have different perspectives of how an audio console impacts the worship team. Like they can tell you how it sounds in their ears or how yeah. it sounds in their monitors. And having that group discussion, I think was really helpful. But I think an executive pastor is in most churches is a really good person to have a relationship with for many reasons. But on the financial side, they usually have a really good understanding of how the system works but because they're in a pastoral position, they care a lot about the ministry aspect. And I think if anyone's going to go up to bat for you and help you communicate that in other committees or even to the entire congregation, having that person on your side, or even even if they're not on your side, being able to have them informed as to what you're talking about, they're going to be a a huge ally for you. Yeah. To have somebody like that on your side that is going into all these other meetings that they're as educated as they can be. They understand the heart behind it from you that they're able to represent kind of the plan mm-hmm. on your behalf. Yeah, so key. Yeah, I think that's like the perfect example of leading up is yeah. trying to cast that vision to that person, knowing that they will try to best represent it as they can, which for us was a little bit of a challenge because he was not the most tech-savvy person. He would not like he would not immediately go towards, oh, we need to talk about the technology stuff because he had responsibilities for other financial things. Sure. But that being said, if we were able to convince him, hey, we need this much to do this and he knew the importance of it, well, then all of a sudden it's like, hey, this is a done deal. Now it's going to go together. So yeah, interesting relationship, great opportunity to practice leading up. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I can remember this is back when I was working at the church in the high school and we we needed a second sound system you know, for a little kid's room. And I'm going to say it was $10,000. I don't remember the exact, but it was like micro, you know, some wireless mics and a few little things. And it was the most painful process to get that money approved for that system. Yeah. And I just can remember thinking, I feel so untrusted and I'm, you know, tired of having to get quotes and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. 
and doesn't the church trust me and all this stuff. Yeah. And it finally came around that it got approved and we we bought it. And I want to say two weeks later, I don't I don't think I'm exaggerating. Two weeks later, we needed one, we needed another one. Like for yeah. another room, we needed a, yeah. a whole nother system. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not looking forward to this process. And so I went to the elder, you know, that was kind of my representative. And they were like, yep, go do it. Yeah. You know, it was like, whoa, that that was pretty amazing. Just the, this is what trust gets you. I mean, this yes. is to go through kind of the painful parts of relationship building lead to, you know, hopefully easier decision-making process in the future. Yeah. I mean, that was very similar to my experience, even with that camera upgrade. I did so much work on the front end just to justify a camera that to me felt very, very obviously the right choice. Uh-huh. And then later when we were moving back and forth and reopening from COVID, there were so many things that we upgraded and all of them did go significantly smoother. And they just, they needed less documentation. It was more like, instead of casting the vision and writing everything down, it was like, here's just some numbers from a couple different places. So you can see that I'm not making up things and that we have a competitive quote, that kind of stuff. Uh But yeah, the trust thing goes so far. And I think that I'm hoping anyone listening to this, who's maybe not at that spot would hopefully hear that as encouraging not as daunting. Because I think in that is the hope that if you do a really good job at showing your work the first time around and really give your intentionality to building relationship, building trust, and casting vision, your labor is not in vain. It will help you exponentially down the road. And so it's worth doing it, even if it feels like you want to pull out all of your hair. I would would hope (laughs) that would be the encouragement. (laughs) Yeah. If you're asking for an upgrade and you finally get it, I mean, it better work. And so don't just casually go into an upgrade that you haven't done enough planning on because if it doesn't work, the chances you're going to be trusted with another upgrade are, you know, go way down. Yeah. Uh, By the way, I can remember a few times, you know, just like doing an A-B test for the pastor and just Mm -hmm. like, oh, dear God, please let him be able to tell the difference between these two, you know, <laughs> like, sure. oh, God, it works. Okay, yeah. But the the other one is, what do you have right now and how good of a steward are you of that equipment? Yep. You know, if you're always blaming the gear or if you're not getting the most out of your current system, it's kind of hard to build further trust if you yep. can't even take what you have right now and do good things with it. Absolutely. So when I was much younger, you know, I would go to a conference at some big church and they would be doing some amazing, you know, production-y thing. And I would be inspired and then depressed kind of all in one, (laughs) you know, one moment. I remember driving away from one of those one year and just thinking, what am I going to, there has to be some kind of hope in this situation, you know, like I'm never going to do a lot of that stuff because I don't, we don't have the budget, but what can I do? And that changed my perspective of like, okay, yeah. what do I have and how can I get the most out of it? Because I think if you're, if you're doing great work, then the like upgrading and expanding and asking for more, not that it's easy, but it, you've proven yourself with yep. what you have so that you could be trusted with more. Yeah, it's absolutely. Like a, it's like a biblical um, principle. We are called to steward. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, it's fun too, especially in in talking with churches who maybe are more hesitant to that. I think it's, um, or hesitant to gear upgrades, aren't familiar with things. I think there's really easy ways to do that, which is just like cleaning stuff up and investing in small ways of like, if your stage is always a mess, well, it actually doesn't cost you any money to fix that. But if you've got a volunteer night and just rewrapped the cables and made it look really nice, people are going to say like, oh, 
this is being cared for. And I think people can kind of pick up on that, even if they have no idea what it is. Like some people are going to be like, I don't want to see any cables at all. But there are some people who will realize like, oh, this used to be confusing and a mess, but now it's a little more organized. There's like, there's care put into it. And I think people feel and, and can notice that, even if it's not necessarily a, um, like a thing they actively notice. I've learned that people will go to other churches when they visit family and they'll be like, oh my gosh, we went there and it was a disaster. It was feedback. Everything was a mess. And they come back home to church and they're like, oh, we actually do a pretty good job of this. Yeah, and so yeah. just just being faithful in caring for gear and keeping things clean and organized, there's something yeah. to be said for doing that. Even if if it's not about spending money, like just being faithful with that yeah. is it's a great starting spot for sure. Yeah, I was talking to somebody yesterday just about gear and their church and, you know, they're wanting to upgrade and, but they don't really have the knowledge base or the experience to then run that new equipment. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what, if you're not turning the mics on and off at the right time, I mean, you don't deserve better gear. Yeah. And so even, even just something as simple as that, like things are on when they're supposed to be is such a simple thing mm-hmm. and not that difficult to do, but gets missed a lot that even right. if even if you're just you know the pastor doesn't have to go and tap on the mic at the podium, uh, is this thing on? You know. Oh yeah. Yeah. Even things that that are that small, it, it don't cost anything. Right. But I mean, frankly, it's the ball game stuff like that. Yeah. I mean that that's the artistry part of running production. That's the same thing that a guitar player does when they memorize their scales. It's not just about knowledge; it's how they apply that, how they run through the fretboard as they're playing, the nuance that they do with yeah. it. That's the artistry of production. Is yeah. How are you fading up the lights? Are you doing it smoothing? Or are you just Turn them all on. When yeah. you unmute a mic, are you doing it way too soon so it's feeding back because it was gained yeah. r- wrong? Like, yeah, doing the simple things really, really well is in production. I actually think is beautiful. I think that's how yeah. we create beauty as, as production artists. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a great place to start. And people see that over time and they feel yeah. it and then it becomes part of the church culture. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So good. Thanks a ton for joining me today, Alex. It was good to hang out as usual and good stuff. Absolutely. Always fun to hang with the community and grow together in our churches. It's amazing to me how much of what we do comes down to building trust in the relationships we have. Not only people trusting us, but us learning to trust others. As Alex talked about, sometimes you put a ton of time into something and leadership chooses to do none of the options you recommended. And really the big question is, how will you respond? Do you trust your leadership to be making the best decisions for the church? We talked about using what you have as a great way to build trust. I mean, there are so many things that we can do that don't cost anything that make the production at our churches better. And are we doing them? Are we building trust in this way? Are we being good stewards of what we currently have? And then learning who we need to lead up to is really important as well. Who is the person that you can educate that can represent you in meetings that you're not invited to? This was a great episode. I had such a great time talking with Alex. If you're listening to this in real time, there's about three weeks left to buy discounted tickets to Philo 2024. We have a ton of stuff we're announcing about the specifics of the Philo conference that's coming. Those are going to be out there. And so you'll want to subscribe to our emails or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at, at Philo Community to stay in that loop. And as a listener of the podcast, you can use the code PODCAST10. So that's lowercase, all lowercase podcast and the number 10. And you'll receive 10% off your total ticket purchase. So when you go in there and select your tickets right before checkout, you can type in PODCAST10 to get that 10% off. Thanks for listening in. Hopefully this podcast has been helpful to you. We'd love to hear from you. What do you love about the Philo podcast? What are some topics we could discuss on future episodes? Yeah, we'd love to know all that stuff. We'll see you next time. Thank you.